Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Would you say that you're here this morning uh, encouraged in life or more discouraged in life? You know, as you reflect back on this last week, last month, last year, would you say that you've been more encouraged or more discouraged? Now, if you're like me, you probably go up and down, right? Depending on the week, depending on the circumstances, something goes good, you're encouraged, something goes bad, you're you're discouraged. And, you know, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, you go up and down, up and down, up and down. But the reality is that many of you are just down. You've not gone up in a long time. You're really discouraged. And as you start pushing toward the holidays more and more, you you don't see any light in the darkness. You're just really discouraged. And then some of you are so discouraged, you assume that that's what God wants you to feel, that God wants to keep you in your place by making you feel discouraged, defeated, guilty, head hanging low. And you assume that's just the way it goes with being a Christian. We're supposed to be kind of doom and gloom and discouraged. When the opposite is true, could you actually believe, for those who are really low right now, that your father wants you to be encouraged all the time. Could it be possible, according to the word of God, that he wants you to live under strong, mighty, and powerful encouragement? And for some of you, you've been the down the dumps so long, you're thinking that is impossible. And for others of you, uh, going up and down like I do, you may be a little skeptical, but it's true. We can, as believers, live in God's strong and mighty and powerful encouragement all the time. It's no joke. It's not a trick. It's not made up. And I am asking and have been asking that this morning will be that morning that you will see that you can lock in to encouragement and hope all the time. No joke. Let's see it. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. It's a great thing that our church preaches through books of the Bible because if we dealt with passages, whether, whether, whatever I was in the mood to preach or topically, we would probably never come to this passage and I think we'd miss out on a huge blessing. The reason someone would probably never choose this passage topically is because it's the very end of a long digression that started back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and it goes all the way to 620. And the digression goes something like this. The author says, I want to tell you something that's really deep, that's really going to encourage you and help you press on, but I don't think you're ready to hear it because some of you are waffling in your faith. Some of you are in danger of drifting away. So I want to tell you something awesome that's really going to build you up, but I can't because you're immature. And so then he warns them. 
He tries to bring them along. He goes, come on, I just want to tell you this one thing that's going to be amazing. I don't think you're ready for it. And he warns them over and over and over and over again. And we're starting to come out of that warning and move on to the thing starting next week of what he really wants to tell us. He wants to tell us something about Melchizedek. And you're going, what is Melchizedek? And I know some of you are here this morning and you're thinking, Pastor, just preach a Christmas message, please. And I just want to encourage you, the next two Sundays, no joke, next Sunday is called a Melchizedek Christmas Part 1. And then the next Sunday is a Melchizedek Christmas Part 2. So the Christmas messages are coming. Just hold on for them. Well, he's finally able to start to inch out of this digression and start to move toward the priesthood of Melchizedek. Before he does that, he wants to talk to them about being encouraged and having hope through the promise. Now, this is some deep stuff that is really good. So let's start verses 13 through 15 of Hebrews 6. For when God made the promise to Abraham... Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12 that he would make him into a great nation. He would have a variety of descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. At the time of his initial uh, promise, he had no kids he and his wife were old. Sarah was barren. But after 25 years of waiting patiently, he had Isaac. Now you can see the possibility of this numerous descendants coming from him and his son Isaac. But the Lord commanded Abraham, hey, I want you to take Isaac, the son of the promise, and I want you to kill him. So they marched up. He's about to kill Isaac. Angel of the Lord stops him, and at that moment right there, something was said, and Hebrews quotes it, okay? Got it? So he got the promise. He waited 25 years, had Isaac, commanded, kill Isaac. He stopped. Then God says something, and Hebrews says, let's talk about that. Once again, verses 13 and 14. We'll read it again. For when God made the promise to Abraham... Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, and this is Genesis twenty-two seventeen, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. So God swore by himself, since there's no one greater to swear by, and doing so, he reaffirmed the promise to Abraham. What was the promise? To bless him and give him many descendants. So get this. Abraham, waiting patiently 25 years, finally gets the son, the promise. Many descendants are going to come from Isaac. Praise God. Now he's about to sacrifice Isaac. It's all going to be over with. No, he is spared. Promise comes in. I'm going to bless you. It's almost like a, a coming of the promise again with an oath. It's a blessing. And Abraham gets this, the fulfilling and sustaining of this promise. Something that's really cool that, that I read, it's really brief, you can always keep this one and put it on your refrigerator. But Craig Coaster says that, that God not only makes promises, but he also keeps promises. You like that? He didn't just make them, but he keeps them. So Abraham believed, he waited patiently, 25 years, finally, God gave him the son. And then God kept the promise, even in the midst of him almost killing him. Don't you wonder, like, what was Abraham thinking? 
And we are told from the book of Hebrews that Abraham was thinking, if I kill Isaac, God's going to raise him from the dead. (laughs) Abraham had so much faith in God that he is a God who makes the promises and he keeps the promises. And then the Hebrews, they're hearing this and they're thinking, okay, what's the point? And, And here's the point. Here's the point. The Hebrews were to imitate the faith of Abraham. He weighed it in faith with patience to receive the promise. The Hebrews have been guaranteed eternal life through Jesus Christ. And as they're being pressed and squeezed in persecution, they're not to bail on Jesus, but they're to imitate the faith of Abraham, the patience of Abraham, that God has made a promise that all those in Christ will live forever. Do not bail on Jesus. You will have assuredly eternal life. That's the point. That God not only promised the Hebrews eternal life, but he will deliver on that promise if they patiently wait. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time waiting. And talking about patiently waiting, that's on another level of waiting. And I could just imagine the Hebrews, how hard they had to wait, because what they were facing was something that I like to call open-ended trials. They saw no resolution. Are are any of you right now facing open-ended trials? You're going through something. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know if it's ever going to end. Maybe you're walking through a season of depression, dealing with a prodigal child, difficult marriage, health falling apart. When's it going to end? It's an open-ended trial. That's what the Hebrews are facing. And what's called for in the midst of these open-ended trials is faith and patience and the promises of God. And I just want to tell you, some of the stuff you're going through right now may never be resolved or fixed on this earth. But God can still be trusted that he not only has made promises where you are secure in him for eternal life, and he will keep it. He will not let you go. You may feel like he let you go, but he did not, and he will not let you go for those who are in Christ. He makes promises. He keeps them. And you may be sitting there and say, how can we be so sure? Verse 16. Verse 16 says, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. At this time, this is something that was a legal description of what happens between humans. Men would take an oath that they're going to do something, and almost like they would say, I swear to God, I will do this. And if I do not do this, God will judge me. Well, we are told that that's what humans did. And for God to accommodate humans, he did the same thing. Verse 17. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heir to the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. So this legal language continues, but now the one taking an oath is God. God has confirmed his promise to Abraham with an oath. Though it's not that God's bound to make these earthly oaths or covenants. That's just something he chooses to do before us. 
Because we're weak, we need affirmations and truthfulness of matter. And God took an oath because he wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. He took an oath to show the seriousness and binding nature of what he had promised. We can be sure that God will come through on his promise for Abraham and for us, almost doubly sure, because not only did he make the promise, but he kept the promise with an oath, making it doubly sure. But I want you to notice in verse 17, this is where we're getting to the weeds, and it's really good. Verse 17, it says, the oath-taking benefits, let's see if you can see it in there, the heirs of the promise. That's the heirs of Abraham. So the promise came to Abraham and extended to Abraham's heirs. And you may say, well, who are the heirs of Abraham? Well, according to the New Testament, the author of Hebrews, the author has in mind the heirs descended by faith. So part of the heirs by faith would all be the men and women of the Old Testament, listed in chapter 11. But here's the reality. This may freak you out a little bit. You, me, Bible teaches, you're Abraham's heir, spiritually speaking. That's how he can have numerous descendants, stars, the sky, sand on the seashore, talking about spiritual descendants. You go, what are you talking about? Let me give you some verses, okay? Let me put up for you Galatians 3, 7. And verse 29, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What? So it's saying, because Christ, and we're in him, and he is from the seed of Abraham, all of you who believe in Jesus Christ are spiritual descendants of Abraham, showing that God kept not only his promise to Abraham, but to everybody here who believes in Jesus. Hebrews 2.16 says, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. We are Abraham's descendants. Now, if you're having a hard time understanding this, I'm going to bring it down to like an elementary level for you to understand. You ready for this? Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, right arm. You grew up singing that. You ever sing that song and go, what is it talking about? That's what it's talking about. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham, that God is a promise-keeping God, that all those who are in Christ are his descendants, spiritually speaking, and will live forever. God not only makes promises, but he keeps them, and we are the beneficiaries now in Christ. Isn't that amazing? We're part of that promise we were part of that. We benefit from that. He received what was promised, and all of us in Christ also receive what is promised. And if that wasn't good enough, the promise and the doubly sure oath-taking to confirm it, it gets even better. We're going to take this to another level. Here we go, verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So what are the two unchangeable things? What's the promise and the later confirmation of the oath, okay? You always, people ever say, God can do anything. Well, there's one thing he can't do, and that is lie. It's impossible. He will hold to the promise. Both the promise and the oath are unchangeable. You think, well, how do we know? God may recant. He may get wobbly. No, 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 no. He will not fudge or budge on this promise, which makes Verse 18 and 19, beautiful. 
Verse 18. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So God made this oath with a promise so that we may be greatly encouraged and all of us who have fled to Jesus are living in this hope that eternal life is here now and will be with us in the future and with him forever. And so all of us who believe in Jesus had fled sin and have taken safe refuge in Jesus who leads to eternal life and the hope set before us. So we're going to be talking about hope for a while now. All right, I'm going to, like from here on out, we're going to talk about hope. Encouragement, hope, same thing. And I know the reality is when I talk about some of you are really discouraged right now, another way to say that is that some of you feel pretty hopeless right now. And I was reading this past week about the 10 most common causes of hopelessness, and I'm sure there's a lot of them, but I want to see if any of you fall into these categories of the 10 most common causes of hopelessness. Number one, you feel alone and abandoned. Number two, common cause of hopelessness, life seems out of control. I don't know if you've ever said before, it's never going to change. Number three, you don't see a purpose. You, you have no purpose of living. Number four, maybe you're grieving a loss during this time. Or maybe, number five, you don't have what you need. Or maybe, number six, you're, dis, you're discouraged and hopeless because you've done something wrong. You just feel so guilty. You're like, how can I get rid of this guilt? Number seven cause of hopelessness is you've been deeply wounded by someone. That's why we talk about abuse. Number eight, you feel pulled in the wrong direction. Mm, that temptation. It's like, this is ever going to go away. Number nine, common cause of hopelessness, you're hounded by fear. Many of us are living in fear and anxiety and worry and just feels hopeless. And number 10, when it looks like defeat. I don't know if any of you ever said, it's it. This is it. I'm done for. There's a lot of causes for hopelessness in this room right now, discouragement and hopelessness. And so I want us to bring us back to verse 18 again, and this is about to get amazing. Verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So this is a great indication that hope and encouragement is not to be circumstantial. You can write that down. Hope and encouragement is not to be circumstantial. The Hebrews were under great persecution, animosity, threats of death, taking of their property, circumstances are a mess. They were to set their hope not on what's going on, but they're to place their hope on God and his promises. He makes them and he keeps us. And all of us who's fled to Jesus have this hope. But if we're sitting here and we've said this morning that I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I know most of you have, you may wonder if you put your faith in Jesus, how can you be so hopeless? How can you be so discouraged if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ? And I think one of the reasons we can be discouraged and hopeless is because instead of setting our hope on Jesus, we've set our hope on how well our circumstances are going. And I want to tell you this, and I just want to out myself, that sometimes we can flee to the most ridiculous things to find hope and encouragement. Once when I was living in Chicago, 
I was tasked with the job of finding a rug for our hardwood floors. It's like all the floors in Chicago have to be hardwood floors. I don't know why, maybe because they were built so many years ago. And so I had to get a rug for our living room. And I thought, man, I'm going to get the best rug ever. I started researching on the internet, looking at ads everywhere. And I was dreaming about rugs. I thought this rug would bring me so much comfort and peace. It'd be all nice and fluffy and I would get with my kids on the ground and I would wrestle in this rug and I started dreaming about this rug and how happy it was going to make me. And I, and I looked all over and I'm daydreaming and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? This is just a rug. And that lasted for days and weeks. And I had to, I had to confess to God and my wife and say, there's something wrong with me. I'm thinking this rug is going to give me a lot of hope. It's not. So after confessing all that, and after all my research, I finally went to Home Depot. And I went to the Department of Carpet where they have remnants that are rejected. And I picked one of those. (laughs) And for the rest of our days, we stepped all over my hope right there. (laughs) And so I ask you now, right now, right now, what is is your rug. Ooh, you are silly people just like me. Yeah? What is your rug? What are you putting your hope in right now? Maybe a person? What they can give me? Circumstances that it can change? It's amazing. We can put our hope in so many different things. And when we do that, here we are. We get it. We're up. We're down. We're up. We're down. Encouraged. Discouraged. Hope. Hope. You see how that works? When we place things on this earth as our hope, we're going to be people that are so up and down. And yet, when we flee to the hope we have in Christ alone, we're going to be up. We're going to be encouraged. That he makes promises, he keeps promises, he's there with us, he's not going to let us go. And and I've been trying to do family worship this week and trying to explain something to my, my, my family about what we're about to read, and I just—it's, I can't even do it justice. I, this, the imagery here is amazing, and I hope somehow you get this. All right, so look at verses nineteen and twenty. This is just amazing. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, here we go. This is, this is like, if you've been sleeping, wake up. If you're not paying attention, pay attention. It's right here. This nautical imagery of an anchor. A boat as an anchor, and it goes down, right? And it keeps the boat from drifting and keeps it sure, secure, and firm. Well, the author here calls the hope we have in Jesus. Did you see it there? An anchor of the soul. And this anchor of the soul makes our lives firm and secure. But I want you to notice, this anchor of hope, it doesn't go down, but it goes up. What? It goes up. We have an anchor for our soul. It doesn't go down. It goes up because that's where Jesus is. And then it it uses this earthly imagery of the tabernacle that we have had on this earth. It says, okay, 
So on this earth, they have the high priest, and he was only allowed to enter into the most holy of holies, right? One day a year to make atonement uh, because that's where God resided. Imagery. So here's, the, here's what's going on here. Jesus, our hope, doesn't enter an earthly tabernacle in the presence of God, but he enters into the sanctuary before the presence of God as the forerunner, and he makes a way for all of us through faith to enter into the presence of God through his life, death, and resurrection. So if Jesus is the crucified, resurrected, exalted high priest who enters into the presence of God, then all of us through faith in him can enter into the presence of God as well. And we are told that it is there we are secure. Anchor for our soul. So it's almost like rope tied around us goes up to the anchor. Yeah, but what if the anchor's gonna fall down and bonk us in the head? Not gonna happen. Yeah, but what if there's gonna be condemnation one day? Not gonna happen. The anchor is firm and secure. You, oh, I have so much to say about this. You're in Christ, secure in him, in heaven, in the heavenly realms, you have access to God anytime you want, firm and secure, no condemnation. And some of this imagery, it may be new to us, but it was written in some of our, our old hymns. There's this line in a song that we're going to sing at the end. It says, my anchor holds within the veil. What? The veil behind the curtain? You mean the curtain that was split in two? Resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, your anchor is in the presence of God a bloody anchor that gives you access to the Father. It holds within the veil. And then there's this line in the song that says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. It's like, well, that's, that's a good song to sing when we're in darkness. And it was written by this guy. He just got out some paper. He's like, I'm just going to write down this song. He writes down this hymn. He writes it on paper. He puts it away. He goes to visit his friend's wife. His friend's wife is dying. And at night they would sing hymns to her. But that particular night had no hymn book. He pops out the song he just wrote, sings it to her, leaves the paper behind. Now we sing it. When darkness veils, hides his lovely face. You ever feel that way? I can't see. It's dark. I can't see. Well, when that happens, I rest in his unchanging grace. What about when the storm comes? I'm being tossed here and there. No, 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 no. My anchor, it holds because it doesn't go down. It goes up. My anchor holds in the veil. And I think the reality that we need to get when you wake up tomorrow, if you wake up tomorrow, and when you wake up, your hope is either going to be anchored up or anchored down. You choose. You pick. If your hope is anchored down, starting today and tomorrow, if you, if you anchor your hope in your bank account, in your health if you anchor your hope on who's in the White House, if you anchor your hope down here, you're going to be doing this number all the time. You're going to be up, you're going to be down, whatever the circumstances would have give you. 
But if you anchor your hope up, secure, stable, no matter how dark the days may get, and the early church got this, did you know that when an early Christian symbol was an anchor? In fact, they found like 66 drawings of an anchor in some cave. An anchor, not one that goes down, but that goes up. So you decide, when you wake up tomorrow, are you going to fix your thoughts on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? The one who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame. The great high priest at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. The bloody anchor, the resurrected anchor, the glorious anchor. You decide. Your anchor goes up or it goes down. And let me encourage you, and I want to join you. Let's put it where it's never going to let go. In Jesus Christ, in heaven, locked into him. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.